0: hey guys we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in check back weekly to stay up to date with what god is doing here in the life of our church to learn more information you can find us online at sturkey.church our prayer here at the church at sturkey hills is that you are moved by this message guys thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week to invite you to turn in your bibles or on your device to the gospel according to john and it's a brand new journey we're taking and our tour guide is going to be none other than the author whose name is john now the reason i specified is the gospel according to john often you'll hear people refer to the gospels as the gospel of matthew or the gospel of john It's not the gospel of john john is not in and of himself good news John is just a dude radically changed by the one who is good news and his name is Jesus. And so it is the gospel from the perspective, from the vantage point, according to John. And it's going to be incredible because it is arguably the greatest book in all of the Bible. In fact, if you're a novice and you just haven't devoted much time to studying God's Word, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not, but you've never gotten into God's Word, you can get into John, and it's so simple, it'll change Your world. It will help you know who you are. It will help you know more about the God who created you. And it will help you know how you can have a relationship restored and redeemed with that great God. It is that good of a book. Now maybe you're a reader, man, and you've been in God's Word. You've studied the whole thing. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest theologian on the planet. This book is a book that is for you. And it will change the way you live your life for God. Now, who is the author of this great book? Well, for years and years and years, it's been debated about who writes this. You know, there's some people, I call them, I say they're educated beyond their intelligence level, and they're always trying to find a reason to create controversy. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, most all people believe that Moses wrote those. It's called the Pentateuch. But there are those who want to say, man, I don't know, they're a little bit different, each one of them. So Moses could not have written them. So we're going to assign different authors for different books. Jesus in the New Testament affirmed Moses wrote the first five. Well, it's the same with the gospel according to John. This John, I truly believe historians believed it. The early church believed it. Polycarp, who was a student of John, he, he, uh, he embraced the, the fact that John wrote this book. Now, who is this John? He's not John the baptizer, We'll meet him. Sometimes it gets a little confusing. And, and, and when we read even this encounter, we, in just a few weeks when we see uh, John the Baptist baptizing, the way he writes it, it's like, well, is he talking about himself? Who is he talking about right here? Okay? But here's the thing. Never in this book, never in the gospel according to John does it say, I am John, the disciple of Jesus. I'm writing you a book. Okay? He never says that. And not even close However, in the book, he refers to himself on a regular basis, this is funny, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, on the surface, it sounds a little proud, doesn't it? Like, you know, yeah, all of the boys, you know, were close to Jesus, but I am the one that he loved the most. You know, I was the pick, the teacher's pet. I'm the guy. It doesn't mean that at all. You see, John got something that you need to get. John got something that I need to remind myself all the time. It's easy for us to say, man, I love God. Man, I love Jesus for dying on a cross. It's easy for us to cast our love toward God. It's a more difficult thing to look in the mirror in the morning and say, wow, I cannot believe what I know is true, and that is this, Jesus loves me the most. Tell your neighbor, Jesus loves me the most. Now, I was really wanting you to say Jesus loves the preacher most when I said me. Okay, no, he does. He loves me the most. Jesus loves me the most. I mean, I'm the pastor, right? Okay, he loves you the most. You see, when you get the reality, when you wrap your mind and your arms around this solitary truth that if you were the only one God created and he put you here instead of Adam and Eve, you would be the first sinner on the earth. It's easy to say, yes, sorry, oh, even Adam, you know, why'd they mess it up for us? If it was you, you would have been the first sinner. And listen, if you were the only one he created and you were found sinful, separated from from the perfection of who he is, Jesus would have, God would have wrapped himself in humanity, came to this earth in the form of Jesus, died on a cross just for you. You know why? Because he loves you most. You're the one he loves the most. Tell, tell you, just tell your neighbor again, he loves me the most. See, that pushes, that pushes against the grain. It sounds prideful, and it's not. It's reality. He loves you most, and John said, yeah, I'm the one that he loved the most. And so that's how he identifies himself as John. Now, in this book, in the gospel, uh, this is written late in the first century, probably about 95 A.D. So Jesus has ascended back to heaven about 60 years before. And then about 30 years post his ascension, Matthew, Mark, and Luke write their Gospels. Now, the, those three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. All it means is they're very similar. Much of the stuff that's in them is common to each other. Matthew starts with a lineage of Jesus. He goes all the way back to Abraham. Uh, Mark comes in, weighs in, and he, in, he interviews people and collects all this information, and he writes his Gospel Uh, Luke, who's a doctor, medical doctor, most believe that basically he's writing Peter's story, okay? So they're all similar, and then John has to be weird. He has to be different. He has to color outside the lines and write this gospel that's not synoptic, that's not just like the others. Why? Well, first of all, I want you to know who the guy is. John is the son of Zebedee, who had a brother named James. Zebedee is a fisherman, has a a lucrative fishing business. And Jesus comes along and he says, Hey, you two, James and John, that's cool how you fish like that, but I want to use you for something greater. I don't want you to fish for the scaly underwater kind of fish. I want you to be fishers of men. If you'll follow me, just, just drop your stuff, leave your dad's business, come follow me. i got a bigger plan for you. And they do. They follow Jesus. Now, John is the youngest of all the disciples, first of all. Number two, John is the only disciple, the only apostle who doesn't die a martyr's death, meaning he's murdered for his faith. Now, he's persecuted for his faith, but he never dies because of his faith. They tried to kill him. They tried to boil him, uh, and, and, and he would not die, and so they put him on an isle, an island called Patmos, which was a stony rock island in the middle of the sea. So the John who writes this gospel about Jesus is the same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and who wrote the book of Revelation. Now, why would he write a different gospel? Why is his gospel the coolest gospel? Why, in my opinion, why is this gospel, why is this gospel he writes, why is it the best book in the Bible? Because it comes from a different perspective. You see, he got to see something everybody else didn't get. And I want to remind you, we covered this book. But to get to the heart of this author, we need to be reminded of what he had just experienced. You see, he wrote another book, the book of the Revelation. And then he's aware of those Gospels. But then based on what he saw in the book of Revelation and what he knows about the Gospels of the other three guys, he puts together this Gospel that's different. Now, I want to remind you what he saw, just a a glimpse, a a taste. In Revelation uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. He says, from John, this same guy. He says, to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is, and who was, and who is still to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn among the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to the one who loves us and has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood. And has appointed us as a kingdom, as priests, serving his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's returning with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes on the earth that will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is and the one who was and the one who is still to come. The all-powerful. I, John, your brother and the one who shares with you in the persecution, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. On Sunday, man, he was hanging out with Jesus. And he says, when I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And and the, and the trumpet said, "Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches: Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea." So I turned to see whose voice was speaking to me, and when I did so, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man and he was dressed in a robe extending down to his feet and he wore a wide golden belt around his chest and his head and his hair were white as wool even as white as snow and his eyes were like a fiery flame and his feet were polished bronze and refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters and he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword extended out of his mouth and his face shone like the sun shining at Strength and when I saw him, I fell down at his feet, though I were dead. Now, here, here look, let me just pause right here. So, here's what happened Matthew, Mark, Luke good dudes. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had an experience with Jesus and those who followed Jesus. Man, they wrote amazing gospels inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> they didn't see that. See, while he was in the Spirit on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, God gave him all of the future. And he saw who Jesus is now. See, the last Jesus the other writers saw possibly is the ascending Jesus. Resurrected body, alive, he could eat, he could speak, he could hang out. Saw Jesus ascend back into heaven. They didn't see this Jesus now. What I just read to you is who Jesus is today. This is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that the church is all about. This is the Jesus that changes everything. John had a bigger Jesus in his life, and that's how he writes this book. So I want you to tell your neighbor, what we need today is a bigger Jesus. Now, you say, well, I, I don't know. What, what does that even mean? Okay, I need a bigger Jesus. Well, we all have an idea about Jesus. Uh, we have, um, if you're old, you'll remember the church fan Jesus. Okay, if you go to a church, an old church, we, when we've been on the mission field, it's like a popsicle stick with a little piece of cardboard on top. got a picture of Jesus on one side and maybe the 23rd Psalm on the back. Anybody ever seen a, a, a fan Jesus? Uh, that ain't a big Jesus. A fan Jesus is not. We need bigger. We need bigger than the fan Jesus, okay? As some of us have worn crucifixes around our neck. You know, a cross with Jesus hanging on it, okay? That's cool, okay? Anybody wearing one, okay? Anybody ever worn a crucifix? Okay, it's cool. There's nothing wrong with that, all right? We need a bigger Jesus than the one hanging around your neck, okay? Okay. Um, We have all of these ideas about who Jesus is. I went to a funeral not long ago, drove into the cemetery. Guess who's standing there? Jesus right there. How they got him to be at theirs, I don't know. You would think, you know. Yet we need more than a concrete Jesus at the cemetery. We need a bigger Jesus. Tell your neighbor, we need a bigger Jesus. John experienced... (laughs) a bigger Jesus I, I like this idea of Jesus you may ever done this one that you go to youth camp give me a J give me a, a cheer Jesus we got a cheer Jesus okay we need a bigger Jesus John caught a glimpse of the real big Jesus okay and you and I need a fresh glimpse of a bigger Jesus and John is the one who is going to help us get to that place because John understood when he read the Gospels, man, those are great. It, it, it talked about his lineage on earth, and that's cool. And it talked about the miracles he performed, and that's cool. It talked about his, his crucifixion and his resurrection, man, that's cool. But John says, I'm going to go past Abraham in terms of his history. I, I'm going to go to the place where your mind gets confused because you can't think that far Back, I'm going to go to a place in the future that your mind begins to spin because you can't think that far forward. That's who this Jesus is. He he says, I'm going to go to the Jesus that created and sustains everything at birth, at the inception in Genesis. It's Jesus. Today we're here because of Jesus. A billion, zillion, trillion, gazillion years from now, it'll be sustained because of Jesus. And John says, that's the one I'm talking about because you need a bigger Jesus than what has already been given. And so today, I want you to know that there's one thing that determines the magnitude, the greatness, the elevation of Jesus And it separates Christianity from the other major religions of the world. And it's this one simple phrase that separates religions. It separates, it distinguishes whether something is a religion about God or a relationship with God. And here's the phrase, three words. Jesus is God. Now you may have never pondered that. You, you may have never, like, jumped in with both feet, just, just dove in head first. Jesus is God. D- tell your neighbor whether you believe it or not, Jesus is God. You see, there's all the major religions in the world believe in Jesus. They believe that he's actually a historical figure. Some will say he was a great teacher, a great humanitarian. Some believe a prophet. Some believe a miracle worker. But all of the other major religions get off the bus when you say three words, Jesus is God. How significant, how important is it for you? Say for me. That's That's what I'm talking to you. This, This is really important for each one of you. How important is it that you embrace the idea that Jesus is really God? It's this important. If he's not God, he's not your Savior. If he's not God, he can't save you because he claimed to be God. And for him to save you means he had to be perfect. And if he said he's God and he's not God, he's not perfect, which means he was disqualified for dying on a cross to save you from your sins and your mistakes. Jesus is God. And that's the bigger Jesus he wants us to get. You see, often we get Jesus as Savior. He's dying on a cross there, you know. His blood was shed. He you know, went through all the beatings, and they stabbed him. Yeah, he died for me, for my sin. We, we get that. We want that. Sometimes we get Jesus as the only Savior, the only way to God, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, okay, I got that. I'm, I, I take that. He's the only way. I can't add or contribute to it. So we embrace that. We see Jesus as our prayer advocate, the one we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, anything you ask in my name, you shall have it. I mean, we get that. We want that when we're in trouble. We want a miracle. We pray to God through Jesus. We, some of us embrace Jesus as our master or our Lord, which is really important. Uh, but seldom do we just grab on to the fact that the reason all that's true is because he's God. It's a bigger Jesus than most of the Christian community identify with. It's not preached. People don't talk about it. And yet it is critically important. It's been debated for 2,000 years. You see, in the New Testament, the Jewish zealots were going to kill Jesus. They were going to stone him. The one reason they were going to stone him was because he claimed deity. Deity. He claimed that he was God, and that's blasphemy. That's the reason they were wanting to keep Jesus claimed that he was God. And yet shortly after the church, within the first hundred years, it's persecuted, man. They're, they're killing Christians, burning Christians, feeding Christians to wild animals. I mean, it was, it was absurd how the devil, how the enemy was trying to stomp out the people of the way, the early church. John saw that, and he says, man, we got to get back. I'm not worried about the persecution now. I'm worried about theology because what happens, when you get pressure on you, you compromise. When I get pressure on me, the tendency is to compromise or dilute what it is, the core thing that we're supposed to believe, and that had happened in the early church. They were saying, well, Jesus the Messiah, okay, he's not God. That's way out there. That may be blasphemy. So they began to dilute it. And so there were all of these arguments that came out. Now, I'm going to give you a little history. I'll I'll keep moving. But, But there's a thing called the Council of Nicaea. This is 325 A.D. Okay? They're debating on whether Jesus is God or not. It's been going on. So finally, Constantine, who's a Roman emperor, and now he's converted. And he says, we're putting this thing to bed once and for all. So he brought 300 bishops or theologians together called the Council of Nicaea. They had had multiple councils. They had multiple meetings talking about this. But he's going to drive a stake in it once for all. So he brought them all together and and, and with the the, uh, specific purpose of determining the reality of a biblical trinity. This Bible doesn't use the word trinity. It's not in here. Trinity meaning God being three persons, the Father, God, the Son, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, who is God. Equal in in nature, equal in power, three persons, very unique, but together as one God. Now let me just pause right here. You, You can't understand the Trinity, and don't pretend like you can. I can't understand the Trinity Not that that means anything. I said that like I was smarter than you. That's a big lie, okay? We can't. It is bigger than us. It is a God-sized thing. So you know what we do? We want to package God. We want to explain God. We want to put him in a little box, put a lid on it, man, tie the bow, and have him completely understood. I, for one, am amazingly glad that we can't understand. I'm glad we have a God bigger than us, amen? Amen. I'm glad I stopped a long time ago bringing him down so he'd look like us. Because I'm disappointed in us. I like him being way out there, way above us. The Bible says his, his thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. I like having a God like that. So what do we do? We say, "Oh, I think." let me tell you how the Trinity works, okay? It's like this. I am my daughter's daddy. I am my wife's husband. And I am my mother's son. Three identities yet one person, pretty good, huh? That's silly and stupid. It ain't even close. Oh, you say yeah, but you don't know this one. Okay, let me let me amp it up and tell you the real one. Here's a good one: water. <laughs> Get it real cold. What do you have? Solid ice. Heat it up a little bit. Liquid. Heat it up. Heat it up beyond boiling. What do you have? Vapor. And yet it's water. H two O. I got it. Okay, silliness. Not even close, not even in the same ball game as God, the triune creator, sustainer of everything in existence. Listen, I'm going to make it real simple. This is simple. Everything created is not God. Everything uncreated is God. Okay? Say it again. Everything created is not God. Everything uncreated is God. Now, what we'll find out in the next couple of weeks, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all pre-existing uncreated. You know what that makes them? God. Everything else, everything else in existence, they created, they fabricated, they made, not God. Okay? Now, we have a tendency to want to read title things and call things God they're not or act like they're God when they're not so they had the council of Nicaea they voted unanimously that there is a triune God found in the Bible he doesn't just show up in the New Testament the triune God shows up in the very first chapter of the very first book it goes like this you remember in the beginning God right that's the father God He says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And then he goes on and he says, uh, "He says, and the earth was void and without form. So the Ruach Elohim hovered over the surface of the earth. The Ruach Elohim is the breath of God. That's the Holy Spirit." And he says, "It's dark." And he says, "So let there be light." Right? That's the first thing. "Let there be light." People say, "Well, that's the sun." No, the sun's not there yet. It comes in a couple of days. It's Jesus who's the light of the world. So you find the Trinity right there. You move forward, and he appears on a very rare occasion that they all show up at the same time. You'll remember when Jesus is being baptized by John the baptizer. And he's baptized, so you've got Jesus... and he's baptized and when he comes up God the Father God speaks from heaven he says this is my son in whom I'm well pleased right and then he says something else he said then the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and remained on him well there again you have the Trinity you have the triune God he doesn't appear at the same time a lot a, a lot in his word but when he does it's something significant so I want you to know that that what we believe about Jesus changes everything. And if you don't believe Jesus is God, you don't have a Savior. You, he can't save you if he is not God. Okay? I just want you to know that. Now, now so here, here's what happens. In our world, who believes that Jesus is God? Well, all of the major religions of the world believe something about God. But all of them will not embrace all of the following. They will not say that Jesus fulfilled uh, prophetic uh, messiahship. They will not embrace Jesus' virgin birth or his incarnation as God being man. They will not embrace Jesus being God. They will not embrace Jesus' atoning death on the cross. They will not embrace Jesus' special nature as the only way to the Father. They will not embrace Jesus' ascension and ultimately his physical return. At best, they will embrace a few, but they won't embrace him fully for who he said he was and who he demonstrated himself to be so spin that forward today what about modern religions today religions that you and I often come in contact with either physically or when we turn on the the tv and we watch the news what do they believe about Jesus well let's just clear it up that way you'll know because you may have some of them knock at your door okay the first one latter-day saints right who are they the Mormons. This, this religion, and it's not, it's not Christian. It's not. And you may have family members you love. And they're Mormons and they're good people, man, often better than Christians. But they're not Christian people. They don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe Jesus is, just, is, is who he said he was. Listen to this. It's founded in 1830 by Joseph Smith. They received. Joseph Smith was kicked out of seminaries because of heresy. And, and and while he was kicked out, at the, uh, he was on a sabbatical, and he says to have received this message to modern-day saints that, that it's a new revelation of God, a new revelation of who we're supposed to be, and he got it on golden tablets, right? Where are the golden tablets? We don't know. Can't find them. They misplaced the golden tablets. But he believed this stuff that's different than today. Now, listen, if you, if you watch television and you see their commercials, man, they do great commercials. Man, and, and honestly, I know Mormon people, they're sweet people, often better than Christians. Their families stay together better. It's one of the fastest growing religions in America. But listen what they believe. Mormons believe that God has a physical flesh and bones, eternal perfect body. Men have the potential to become gods as well. Jesus is God's literal son separate from God the Father and he is not God. That's the Mormons. Okay? Then you got Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses were founded in 1879 by Charles Russell. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that God is one person, Jehovah. Jesus was Jehovah's first creation. That means he's not God because he's created. Jesus is not God nor part of the Godhead. He is higher than angels but inferior to God. Jehovah used Jesus to create the rest of the universe before Jesus came to earth he was known as the archangel Michael now let me go ahead and tell you something I'll go ahead and let out there these two in particular are really good at this good bad whatever bad about it good at doing it the oldest trick in the book is this let's align ourselves with a little bit of truth Let's include a little bit of truth in our story, and then they'll believe the rest of the story. So several weeks ago, we were doing a family's own mission. We were working for a, in a, at a home. We were helping this lady out in her yard, and I saw two young men walking down the street with neckties on. I knew immediately they were not Baptist, okay? Starting next week, I will not see any of you on Saturday afternoon giving your time in the sun, wearing a necktie, walking down the streets, inviting people to church. I wish we were more like Mormons about one thing. Being serious about our faith. Okay? I wouldn't even require you to wear a necktie. Okay? Just cover yourself decently and go get them. Okay? We won't even do that. They're willing to put a necktie on on a 90 degree a day and knock on people's doors and tell them about the thing they believe is truth. So I saw them coming. And I'm like, well, let's have a conversation. So I met them in the road. And I said, hey, how y'all doing? And I knew there I knew were one or two groups. Okay? I knew who they weren't, Baptist. And so. They said, hey, 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 how y'all doing? Yeah, we, how y'all out well, visiting, man, I appreciate it all on a sunny day y'all doing this. And, and they said, yeah, well, you know, we're here just telling people about Jesus, you know, and, and trying to get them involved in the, in the local church and all that. Man, it sounds good, doesn't it? That's good. I wish my people did, wish y'all were doing it. All right? And so then, and he says, uh, what about you? Do you believe in God? I said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually a Baptist pastor. And they go, oh, really? Well, that's awesome. We are very much alike. That's what they said. I said, no, we ain't. No, we're not. We're not even close. Okay. Not even close. We use the name Jesus on occasion, not in vain. That's about as close as we get. Okay? And so we began to talk, and here's what he did. He goes he goes, Well we believe, and he quoted an old testament uh, verse. And I said, Oh, that's cool. And I quoted an old testament verse. And he goes, Well, the one you quoted was not inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what I said. Who told you yours was? You know? Well, uh, we believe, we believe, we believe. And I said, let me tell you something. I believe God is not a confusing God. He's capable, if he can create everything and sustain everything like he does, every tiny molecule of all of existence, he knows and numbers every one of them. He's certainly, it's, it's easy enough for him to give us a word that's infallible, inerrant, and true for all time. And you don't need to add to it. And I believe mine says in Genesis this, and yours, I believe what yours says too. But I'm not picking and choosing. And we had this long, and so finally, there was the, the younger, the, the younger, smaller one. I say he's younger, he looked he looked younger and he was smaller. He was, he was listening, he was listening. <laughs> the big one says, hey, we got to go. We got to go, okay? Now, why? Because they don't, they don't believe what you believe if you believe this Bible. They believe some of this Bible plus some other stuff too. And I want to tell you the oldest trick in the book is when the enemy gives you just enough truth to make you think they're telling you the whole truth. And once you're in there, you don't know that you've been gotten. And I'll share it with you in just a second. What about Christian scientists? We have those. Mary Baker Eadie, 1879. Christian scientists believe the Trinity is life, truth, and love as an impersonal principle. God is the only thing that truly exists, and everything else, all of matter, is an illusion. Jesus, though not God, is the Son of God, and he was promised as a Messiah, but he is not deity. And then I like the next one, which we're all probably familiar with, Scientology. If I say Scientology, what name immediately comes to mind? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. I, don't, I don't think he's convinced anymore. Scientology believes this. It was only established in 1954 by Ron Hubbard. Listen what they believe. Scientology defines God as dynamic infinity. Jesus is not God's Savior or Creator, nor does he have control of supernatural powers. He's usually overlooked in Dianetics. The Holy Spirit is absent from the belief system as well. Men are thetan, immortal. Spiritual beings with limitless capabilities and powers, though often they're unaware of this potential. Scientology teaches men how to achieve higher states of awareness and ability through practicing Dianetics. Dianetics is basically the power of positive thinking. Okay, yeah, (laughs) they're not Christian people. They don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe Jesus can save them. They are about all that their mind will allow them to be. And then I'll finish with this one. What about Islam, the nation of Islam? The Muslim community, the one you read about all the time, the one you see on the news all the time. What about them? What do they do with Jesus? Listen to this. In Islam, Jesus has the peace and blessings of God upon him. He is one of the five greatest messengers of God who are collectively known as the ul Al-Azim or the possessors of steadfastness. Jesus is also a real person who lived in Roman Judea in the first century of the common era. Muslims share with Christians most of the basic outlines of Jesus' story. Though there are certain differences in Islam as well as in Christianity, Jesus was born to a Virgin Mary and was without a father. But for Muslims, Jesus is neither God nor the Son of God. In Islam, Jesus is believed to have been the precursor to Muhammad, attributing the name Ahmad to someone who would follow him. Islam rejects the divinity of Jesus and teaches that Jesus was not God incarnate nor the Son of God and according to some interpretations of the Quran, the crucifixion, the death and the resurrection are not to be believed in. All of these other religions they do something with Jesus and you know what the sad stinking truth is? Even in the Christian community the Baptist churches, the Methodist churches the uh, uh, Presbyterian churches, the Assembly of God churches, the church of God churches, the Catholic churches. We all do something with Jesus, but often it's not Jesus for who he is. It is just Jesus when all of us need a bigger Jesus in our life. Amen. Amen. John wrote this book so we would have a bigger Jesus. He wants us, listen, he wants us to get the idea that Jesus. Although he was a man and although he died on a cross and rose again, he's bigger than we think. He's God. He's the Jesus that John wrote about in Revelation. He is a bigger Jesus. So when we get that, we're less inclined to believe the partial truths and the lies that are thrown at us every day. I don't know if you're aware, spiritual warfare goes on every day in your life. There's an enemy who who hates you. And he wants to capture your imagination and your mind. He wants to to dilute the greatness of the God that you say you serve. And, and, and he wants to, to confuse you and move you to a place where you're no longer effective as a God-chasing Jesus follower. Okay? So he does it through partial truth. How long has partial truth been going on? Longer than you and I can imagine. It went on in heaven When Satan, Lucifer at the time, convinced a third of the angels he had a better plan. And then it shows up on the earth in the garden in chapter 3. Listen to this. This is, now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree of the garden? See, see it's so subtle. It's close. It's so close, but yet so far away from truth. And, And so now the woman says to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not even touch it or you'll die. There's no record of him saying that you must not touch it. She, now she's, she's entertaining this idea, this philosophy, this thro- thought process. Verse 4, Mr. Crafty sh- chimes in again. He says, you won't certainly die. He says, the serpent... He said, the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil, right? I mean, so close, but yet so far away. So when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to help gain wisdom, she took some of it and ate it and she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it and both of their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves and immediately religion began. Do you get that? Religion is when man tries to make himself appealing to God and they were already appealing to God and so now they're naked and ashamed so let's make ourselves look good to God let's hide our shame let's make us some clothes that's what religion is religion responds to the lie when we don't understand who God is and in today's culture most people don't understand how much God loves them right where they are but loves them way too much to leave them where they are he's already done everything about it to make it right in Jesus his resurrected son and people never get to the truth and often it's because the christians are not sharing and living the truth that they that they say they embrace so the gospel according to john and i'm finished two primary points two primary points some of you thought he's still got two points okay these are easy reader points this is this is why he wrote the book the first jesus lives forever. Tell your neighbor Jesus lives forever. When we were singing those songs, worship team, man, those were, y'all did great, man. I'm telling you, man, it just war- warmed my soul. I'm telling you, I, when, when God just whispers in my soul, it, it, it makes my face smile. I, I, can't, I can't, it just makes me, I can't help it. When, when He's with me, it makes my face light up because it lights up from the inside. And, and, and when we were singing that, and I thought about this point, everything we're saying, is eternally true good night everything we sang about him is eternally true it never was not in existence in the past and it will never cease to exist in the future the greatness of our savior the greatness of our lord the greatness of our king will always be now he may not be your king your savior and savior and your lord yet but he is mine and that's never going to change. And, and he says that in John 1:1. Jesus lives forever. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was fully God. We'll unpack that next week. I'm telling you, it's incredible that what he's packed in a verse. We'll see that next week. And the second point that John wants you to get is this: you ready? You can too. You can live forever too. The reason that he writes this gospel, the reason is boiled down, theologians believe, into one verse. And the verse is John chapter 20, verse 31. John says, but these things are recorded. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says the whole book, I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to to point to my greatness, the fact that Jesus loved me the most. I'm not here to impress you with the fact that I was on the Isle of Patmos and I hadn't been martyred. And I, I, I pushed through all the all the attempts to kill me I'm not here to impress you with me so much so I'm not even going to put my name in the book I'm here because I want you to know based on what you read not to have a head knowledge but that you will place your belief in that Jesus and thus you will have life I mean, that is so good That John loves you enough to want to tell you about the truth that can give you life so he comes along knowing the other writings and he dives a little deeper he reaches out a little further and he pushes a little harder so that we will believe and have life and so i close with this there's a story that's told about a a a lady and she taught a sunday school class in her local church and so the Sunday school teacher told her little boys and girls, she said, Now listen, I'm going to describe something to you, because we're talking about being prepared. And she said, When you know what it is, I want you to raise your hand and tell me. So the teacher says, Sometimes he lives in trees, and sometimes he eats nuts. Sometimes his hair is brown, and maybe gray. He chatters, and he makes noises at times. And he shakes his tail when he gets scared. a little boy stuck his hand up. She said, you know the answer? He said, I know I'm in Sunday school. And the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. And you say, what does that have to do with Jesus? Jesus may not have been the answer to that question. But when it comes to the question of where you will spend eternity jesus is the only answer he's the only answer and at some point in our life one by one we come to a crossroads and it's like the world around us ceases to exist and the god of the universe that that created us just just goes down deep inside of us and speaks to the core to the fiber of our being to our soul and he whispers i made you I love you right where you are. I came to earth and I died to fix you. And I'll take you on a journey that you cannot comprehend the greatness of. I'm offering all I am in my perfection to all of you in your brokenness. If you'll receive it, I'll come into your life and change you for all of eternity. Jesus is the answer. And that's what you need. That's not judgmental because that's what I need. A bigger Jesus in our life. We ought to be proud to proclaim that name. He's God. He came to this earth. He changed this earth. Our calendar is is because of Jesus and He wants to change you personally. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the story of Jesus you may have even said a prayer along the way you may have been baptized I don't even know but I want you to know today if Jesus is not bigger than anything else in your life you've got the wrong Jesus if Tennessee football has you down Jesus is not big enough in your life if you just lost your job and it's, and it's got you in a stranglehold Jesus is not big enough in your life if you think somehow you can please God by doing good things good deeds to earn and merit your way to God Jesus isn't big enough in your life all of us need to get to that place where we say God I fully trust Jesus Him alone for my relationship with you And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus into your life. And yet right now you feel the Holy Spirit of God tugging at your soul. Here's how you respond. Father, I thank you for speaking into my heart. I've never felt this before. I know I'm a sinner. And yet in this moment I know you love me anyway. I believe your word is true that you came to this earth and died on a cross to forgive my sin. So Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to save me today. I want to be your child, God, adopted into your forever kingdom. I receive your grace gift, nothing I can add to it, purely a gift from you. I walk away from my past and I embrace you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me live for you from this day forward. Thank you, God, for choosing to love somebody like me. Thank you for saving me on this day. In Jesus' name.